And now, if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord together. Be reading Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 20 through 31. It's Acts 9, 20 through 31. This is the word of the Lord. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for this incredible story of the life of uh, your disciple Saul. Uh, Father, we ask that you be with us as we consider it, as we consider just the power of the gospel on display. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can uh, know that what we read is true. In name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, uh, we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 20 through verse 31, which I just read for us. And over the past few weeks, uh, we have been introduced to a zealous uh, persecutor of the church named Saul, who I will probably sometimes call Paul on accident throughout today. Uh, but we, right now, we're calling him Saul. And today, uh, we are continuing to follow this story. And, and Saul, if you remember, was first introduced to us at the end of chapter 7. Uh, he was the young man at whose feet they laid their coats as they stoned the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Uh, in chapter 8, uh, Saul began to aggressively persecute the church in Jerusalem, uh, not only arresting those who spoke in public, but even entering homes at night and arresting both the men and the women. And so Saul, Saul so passionately hated the followers of Jesus that in chapter 9, if you remember, uh, he requests and he's granted permission to travel to Damascus to arrest the followers of Jesus that he could find in the synagogues in that city. But um, last week we read, we read this story. Along the road to Damascus, everything changed, right? Everything changes for Saul because Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he is never the same. And as we ended last week, uh, Saul's sight is restored. He is baptized. Uh, he broke his fast. He had a meal. And after eating, Saul goes to the synagogues 
and proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. And so that's an incredible amount of change in the life of Saul in just a few chapters. And that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ on display in the life of this radically changed man. From approving of the stoning of Stephen uh, for blasphemy, from ravaging the church of Jerusalem, to publicly declaring that Jesus is not only the Christ, that he's not only the Messiah, but that Jesus is the Son of God. And so Saul has been changed by the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. Saul has been changed by the power of the gospel. But as we read this passage, we see that very few people are prepared to believe that someone like Saul could be so changed by the gospel that he is now proclaiming it. Uh, The church in the book of Acts has proclaimed the power of the gospel. They have seen the power of the gospel at work among them, and yet when it comes to Saul, they don't believe it. And it reminds me of this kind of phenomenon uh, that you find in bluegrass music. I've always loved bluegrass music, and because so many of the old bluegrass songs are songs about the gospel, uh, frequently what you'll find is you'll hear these songs sung and played uh, by bands and, and sung by crowds who have absolutely no connection to Jesus or to the church. Uh, you hear men and women uh, singing that there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ, even uh, wonder-working power, right, uh, while not believing a word of it. Uh, they're singing it because it's an old bluegrass standard. It's not because they believe it. And well, that happens in the world of bluegrass, but it also happens in the world of the church. Uh, there may be times, there may be seasons where we find ourselves singing the songs, uh, where we find ourselves saying the words, but inside uh, we've come to forget or, or maybe to doubt or, or maybe even to reject the power of the gospel that we proclaim. Uh, maybe you're doubting the power of the gospel to work salvation in the life of someone you know or someone you love. Uh, maybe you're doubting the power of the gospel for your own sanctification, for your ongoing battle against indwelling sin, for your, for your growth in becoming more and more like your Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you're doubting the power of the gospel to sustain and protect the church during turbulent times. You know, are, are we proclaiming the power of the gospel while living as those who don't really believe it? You know, are, are we surprised by conversions? Are we despairing in our battle with sin? Are we unsure of our security in Jesus Christ? Are we filled with anxiety every time we turn on the news? You know, and so this is the question that I want us to consider as we study this passage today. You know, are we proclaiming the power of the gospel while living as those who don't really believe it? And since we know that there will be seasons, there will be days, there will be moments in our lives when we will struggle to believe the power of the gospel that we proclaim, you know, we need to pay close attention uh, to the truths that we find in our passage today. And so this morning, we're going to walk through this passage together, and then we're going to spend just a few minutes talking about three truths that this passage challenges us to believe today. And as we begin, uh, the first thing that we see in this passage is a radically changed Saul in Damascus. Uh, We start by seeing a radically changed Saul in Damascus. Let me read verse 20 again for us. It says this, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. You know, what, what an incredible change in the life of Saul. Saul's sight is restored. He's baptized into the community of the people he'd come to destroy, He eats, and then he immediately goes to the synagogue to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. And and at the beginning of this chapter, Saul got permission to travel to the synagogues of Damascus to arrest anyone who was following Jesus. And and so here we find him 
following Jesus. Uh, he's following Jesus. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And you think back to chapter 7 of Acts. When Stephen declared that he could see Jesus in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, Saul agreed that Stephen deserved to die because it was blasphemy to suggest that Jesus was even sharing this kind of heavenly space with God. Uh, Stephen told everyone, Stephen told everyone that he saw the resurrected Jesus in heaven, and it was from heaven that Jesus spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus. You know, there is no longer any question in Saul's heart or mind. He, he is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And here is Saul uh, starting or stating even more explicitly than Stephen did that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the only time in the book of Acts that this phrase is used, although it, it appears many times later in, in the writings of Paul. And, and people in those synagogues cannot believe the change that has come over Saul. Uh, let me read verse 21 again. It says, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? So Saul's mission uh, and Saul's reputation have preceded his arrival in Damascus. Uh, the Jews of Damascus clearly expected the Saul who was breathing murderous threats, uh, who was ra ravaging the church in Jerusalem. Uh, they, that's who they expected to show up in their synagogues uh, with a message from the high priest and with a plan for dealing with these followers of Jesus in their midst. But that's not who showed up. Saul shows up proclaiming that Jesus, that the Jesus that he hated, is the Son of God. And in verse 22, we read that Saul becomes even more of a problem for the Jews. Uh, verse 22 says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by pro proving that Jesus was the Christ. In the first chapter of Galatians, Paul tells us that he spent parts of three years in the region of Damascus, uh, both in the city and in the surrounding desert following his, con his conversion. Uh, one of the interesting kind of unique things about how they kept time back then, uh, that means that Paul could have spent three full years or Paul could have spent any part of three years. So if he went November and then a full year and then stayed until the next you know, day, it would be three years, just how they kept time. If he spent any part of three years, it was three years. And so in Galatians, Paul tells us that he spent three years in the region of Damascus, both in the city and in the countryside and the desert. And during this time, he was growing in his understanding of Jesus as the Messiah as he considered the Old Testament scriptures. And as he does, we're told um, that Saul confounded the Jews by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And one of the commentators, uh, Simon Kistemacher, he describes the situation uh, that we find in verse 22. He, he describes it this way. He says, uh, Saul has received extensive training in the Old Testament and now uses his education to explain the fulfillment of the scriptures to his audiences. And the more he opens the word of God, the more he sees the Christ personified in Jesus of Nazareth. Another commentator, Kent Hughes, puts it a slightly different way. He says, uh, Paul's immense intellect, his razor-sharp lawyer's mind, and his Pharisee's knowledge of the Holy Scripture made him, though a novice, a formidable enemy. Uh, Saul, Saul was new to the Christian faith, but he had spent many, many years studying the Old Testament. And so when you combine his biblical knowledge... Uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Jews of Damascus uh, could not find a way to contradict the teaching of Saul. And so in response, uh, they decide to kill Saul. And so let me read verses 23 through 25 again. They say this, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. 
But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And so verse 23 uh, begins with the words, when many days had passed. And here, uh, here's where we see Luke kind of summarizing Saul's three-year stay in this region with just a few words. But what we learn is that the Jews of Damascus, who were at first kind of amazed, they were confounded, they were confused by the change in Saul, uh, now they're tired of him. Uh, they are tired of Saul proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God in their synagogues. Uh, they are tired of Saul confounding them and proving from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is not what they signed up for when Paul came. And so they come up with a plan to kill him. And working with the ruler of Damascus, the Jews set watch over the city gates and they wait for Saul. Uh, but word gets out. Word gets out and Saul's disciples hear of this plan. And so they come up with a plan of their own. They're going to lower Saul in a basket through the window and the wall of the city. And so Saul escapes this plot against his life. Uh, Saul arrived in Damascus uh, radically different than the Saul that they expected. And in the end, uh, he was forced to flee. Which leads us to the next portion of our passage as we look at a radically changed Saul in Jerusalem. I'm going to read verse 26 again for us. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So Saul leaves Damascus after staying in that region from anywhere between 14 and 36 months, and he returns to Jerusalem. And we're told that he attempts to join the disciples in Jerusalem, but they were all afraid of him. Uh, Saul returns to Jerusalem and is rejected uh, by his previous associates in the Sanhedrin because of his present faith in Jesus, and he's rejected by the church in Jerusalem because of his past. Uh, three years, um, even potential reports from Damascus of a changed Saul those aren't enough to cause the church to forget the Saul of Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Let me read those again for us. Acts 8, 1 through 3 says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So it had been three years, but the church hadn't forgotten who Saul was. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised to read that the Saul who scattered families and communities, uh, who drug off men and women to be imprisoned throughout Jerusalem, uh, we shouldn't be surprised that he was not immediately welcomed into the fellowship of the Jerusalem church. Uh, Saul attempts to join the disciples, uh, but they're afraid of him because they do not believe that Saul was now a disciple of Jesus Christ. But just as the Lord provided Ananias in Damascus to, to introduce a changed Saul to the local church, so the Lord now provides Barnabas to introduce a changed Saul to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, verse 27 says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Uh, we're, we're first introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, where we're told that his name is Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. So in case all the name changing wasn't confusing, we have another one. Um, so the name's Joseph, but we call him Barnabas. And uh, in Acts 4, Barnabas encourages the church by selling some land, and he gives the proceeds to the church. And now, uh, Barnabas once again acts as an encouragement by believing Saul's story of conversion, and by taking Saul to meet with the apostles in Jerusalem, and by sharing Saul's story on his behalf. 
And the result is that Saul was accepted into the fellowship of the church. And it's incredible to imagine Saul sitting down to communion in the Jerusalem church next to men and women uh, that he had arrested, uh, maybe even sitting down next to the family and friends of Stephen. You know, the, the power of the gospel is on display in the life of Saul in this passage. Uh, but it's also on display in the incredible forgiveness directed towards Saul by the church in Jerusalem. You know, through the kindness of Barnabas, uh, Saul is accepted into the community of believers in Jerusalem. And, verses, and in verses 28 through 29, uh, we read a little about his life there. It says, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So Saul in Jerusalem, he's been accepted, and he begins to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And he begins to preach this good news of Jesus Christ to the Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem, uh, maybe even to the same Jews who had killed Stephen. And it doesn't take long for these Hellenistic Jews to decide that the best way to deal with a radically changed Saul is to kill him. Uh, we know from Damascus that Saul was incredibly skilled at presenting Jesus as the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. And we know that Saul's testimony of being met by the resurrected Jesus on his way to Damascus, of his being converted to the faith he once persecuted, uh, that would be powerful. And so the Jews of Jerusalem waste no time in deciding to kill Saul. Uh, but verse 30 tells us that Saul once again escapes danger. Uh, verse 30 says, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So in Damascus, we're told that Saul is rescued by his disciples. Uh, as a Pharisee, Saul likely had his own little group of disciples who followed him and who studied with him. And those are the, the gentlemen, those are the men, those are his disciples who, who rescue him in Damascus. But here in Jerusalem, word gets out that there's a plot to kill Saul. And this time, it's the community of the church who learns of the plot and he rescues Saul by sending him off to his home in Tarsus. And it's significant. It's not a small detail. It's, it's significant that the Jerusalem church has forgiven and accepted Saul to the point where they rescue him uh, from a plot against his life. Uh, the gospel is at work among them, bringing new life, uh, causing them to grow in Christ, even in forgiving and accepting and loving Saul. And so the story of Saul's conversion that began on the road to Damascus ends with Saul returning home to Tarsus. And with this kind of summary statement from Luke at the end of the chapter, or in this passage, um, at the end of this section in verse 31, Luke summarizes and talks about the, a radical season of peace that comes upon the church following the conversion and departure of Saul. I'm going to read verse 31 for us. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And one thing to note in this verse is that while there are three regions mentioned, um, in this verse there's only one church mentioned. And that includes those who are formerly considered enemies, like the Samaritans and the Jews, and like Saul and the Jerusalem church. You know, the gospel has united together people who were once separated by sin and by prejudice, uh, by hatred. And in Jesus Christ, they are now one church, being built up, uh, walking in the fear of the Lord, uh, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and multiplying. And so the death of Stephen ushered in a season of radical persecution and, and scattering of the church in Jerusalem. And now the conversion of Saul uh, leads to a season of peace 
during which the church is built up. Uh, the church walks in imperfect yet faithful obedience um, to the commands of Jesus, uh, a season where the church finds both comfort and strength from the Holy Spirit after a very hard season. And so throughout this passage, we have seen the power of the gospel on display in the life of a radically changed Saul, and we've seen the power of the gospel on display in the life of the church. But we've also seen moments when those who profess to believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ refused to, to believe that the gospel could possibly have saved someone like Saul. And since we know that just like we've seen in this passage today, there, there will be seasons, there will be moments, there will be days in our lives when we struggle to believe in the power of the gospel that we proclaim, um, that there may be times or seasons when we find ourselves singing the songs, when we find ourselves saying the words, but inside we've come to doubt or to reject or even um, just, to, just to forget the real power that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So because we know that happens to us too, we're going to take just a few moments uh, before we leave today. We're going to talk about uh, three truths that this passage challenges us to believe this morning. Uh, three truths that this passage challenges us to believe this morning. And the first truth this passage challenges us to believe is the power of the gospel to save sinners. The power of the gospel to save sinners. In our passage today, uh, the Jews of Damascus were confused by the change that had taken place in Saul, and the believers in Jerusalem refused to believe it. And there are times when we forget or doubt or reject the power of the gospel for salvation. You know, maybe we've given up hope for family members or loved ones. Uh, maybe we've given up hope for coworkers or neighbors or friends. Maybe we've given up hope for ourselves, thinking that our sins are too great, that we have wandered too far away, uh, that we have spent too long in that far country away from our loving Father. But the power of the gospel to save sinners is the power of the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the resurrection from the dead, and the ruling and reigning of Jesus Christ. And so this Jesus, um, Jesus is the source of the power of the gospel, right? And this is the same Jesus who in John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Uh, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Or if you think as, as Ephesians 2 tells us, that all of us uh, who have been saved were dead in our sins, that we were dead in our trespasses, that we are walking according to the patterns of this world, but that God, being rich in mercy because he loved us, even while we were sinners, he made us alive together with Christ. You know, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees that there is power in the good news of the gospel to save sinners. Uh, to the glory of God, our loving Father, who watches and waits uh, who, who celebrates the salvation of his prodigal sons and daughters. And in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, uh, the apostle formerly known as Saul uh, points to his own conversion as encouragement for us to continue trusting in the power of the gospel to save. I'm going to read this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 and 16. Uh, so Paul says, uh, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Saul is, Saul is the example of this for us. 
that there's power in the gospel to save sinners. And so the first truth in this passage challenges us to believe is the power of the gospel to save sinners. Uh, the second truth this passage challenges us to believe is the power of the gospel to sanctify save sinners. Uh, the power of the gospel to sanctify save sinners. At times, uh, we may find ourselves incredibly discouraged by what looks like a complete lack of progress, uh, by the, at times, incredibly slow progress of sanctification in our own lives uh, and the lives of those around us. Well, in the third chapter of Colossians, uh, Paul tells us that having been saved by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he tells us to put off the old man, uh, to put off our old sins that once ruled over us, and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, but, but the one step forward, uh, two or three or four steps back nature of sanctification, uh, it, it can sometimes leave us doubting that we will ever look anything like our Savior. And in this passage, we see the power of the gospel on display in the sanctifying work that occurs in the life of Saul, who after his conversion uh, grows in the strength and in the wisdom of the Lord, uh, who renounces his former patterns of life as he proclaims Jesus as the Son of God. And so we see this growth in Saul, but we also see the power of the gospel on display in, sanctifying, in the sanctifying work that occurs in the life of the church of Jerusalem. I know that uh, I have struggled to forgive fellow believers for far less uh, egregious offenses than the, approving the murder of my friend or dragging me off to prison in the middle of the night. And yet that is what the church of Jerusalem is called to. And incredibly, God gives them grace to extend the love and forgiveness that God has shown them to Saul. And if we are in Christ, uh, we can trust the promises of Scripture. Like the one we find in Philippians 1.6, it tells us that if God has begun His good work in us, He is faithful to bring it to completion. And so in this passage, we see in the life of Saul, we see it in the life of the church, uh, the truth that there is power in the gospel to sanctify saved sinners. And then the third truth that this passage challenges us to believe is the power of the gospel to sustain the church of Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel to sustain the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are times when we look around at all of the trouble, all the tragedy of this world around us, and we begin to doubt the power of the gospel to sustain the church. And yet, that is what we see in this passage. Yeah, when we read the ninth chapter of Acts, it's easy for us to marvel at the grace that God shows to Saul in his conversion and in, and in Saul's call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But this chapter is also the story of God sustaining and caring for his church. You know, in chapter 8, the church in Jerusalem was facing incredible persecution. And Saul was the primary organizer of this persecution. He's the one who's breathing murderous threats. He's the one who can't uh, get his mind off the fact there's people following Jesus in Jerusalem and in other cities. And God brings an end to this season of intense persecution, not not by striking down Saul on the road to Damascus, uh, but it is, the, it is the conversion of Saul that brings a season of peace and growth to the church in the present, and it's the conversion of Saul um, that brings about this, the carrying of the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles as the church continues to obey the Great Commission. And so God, through his great mercy and grace to Saul, sustains his church, and brings a season of radical peace to them in which they're built up, where they're walking in their faith, where they are being comforted by the Holy Spirit after a hard season. And so the third truth this passage challenges us to believe is the power of the gospel to sustain the church of Jesus Christ. 
And, and throughout this passage today, uh, we have seen the power of the gospel on display and the life of a radically changed Saul and the life of the church in Jerusalem. And we have been challenged by this passage uh, to remember and to believe that the gospel is still powerful for salvation, that the gospel is still powerful uh, for sanctifying sinners, and that the gospel is still powerful for sustaining the church of Jesus Christ today. Uh, Because the power of the gospel is guaranteed, uh, the power of the gospel is guaranteed by the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our ascended and reigning Savior, Jesus Christ. And the power of the gospel is guaranteed by this work of Jesus Christ to his glory and to our great hope. So let me pray for us.